not many people can say their first proper mountain bike ride was with Brandon Semenuk, I don't think. To be honest, I had no clue who he was. <laughs> not even the slightest idea. Nothing. But when he pulled out a Red Boy helmet and I saw I was like, hmm. I was like, you got a Red Boy helmet. That means something. Then um, I got on my phone. I was like, let me check out this guy. Let me see who this dude is. And I was like, oh, this is like mountain bike royalty right here. At one point, I think I kind of went into hiding for a minute. I was like, this is crazy. I'm, just, I'm getting attacked day after day after day. I think like, bikes immediately destroyed that dream. Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is the Downtime Podcast, where we're going to be taking you deeper than ever into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. First up, a quick thank you to our supporting partners. This episode is proudly supported by Shimano, who've recently launched their latest range of shoes designed to take the gravity mountain bike world by storm. They've got an even grippier, updated old tread sole and an improved fit and feel on the bike thanks to their Torbal 2 sole technology, which balances stiffness and flexibility for peak performance and comfort on the trail. The range contains clip and flat pedal options along with women's specific designs with a slightly tweaked fit. Shimano are serious about providing great footwear for gravity focused riding, so much so that you'll see them on one of the world's top downhill races later this season. I've been testing the GF8 Gore-Tex shoes which are a flat pedal shoe that's built to perform in harsh wet cold conditions which we've had a lot of recently in the UK. These shoes have received amazing reviews so I was really excited to try them. For the GF8 Shimano have tweaked the rubber chemistry of the sole to work in low temperatures and it's worked. The grip was great. They aren't heavy or hot to wear managing somehow to breathe well and yet on a snowy ride combined with a pair of merino socks my feet never got cold. It's a reflection on just how good these shoes are that on wet and cold rides I've not thought about them. My feet have always been comfortable and stuck to the pedals just where I want them. So if you're in the market for some new shoes, I'd highly recommend checking out Shimano's new gravity range over on their website mtb.shimano.com or at your local Shimano dealer. If you're not sure where your nearest dealer is, look for the big blue button marked Find My Dealer on the Shimano MTB homepage. This episode is also proudly supported by We Are One Composites. As dedicated downtime listeners will know, I'm a huge advocate for We Are One's wheels and for good reason. Their reputation is built on two fundamental pillars, unparalleled attention to detail and exceptional engineering talent. We Are One's commitment to precision ensures that every component they produce meets the highest standards of quality. However, what truly distinguishes their wheels is their deep engineering understanding. By meticulously balancing stiffness and compliance, We Are One creates wheels that offer a ride which delivers on the two most important characteristics, precision and control. In years of using We Are One's wheels, I've experienced zero issues, a true testament to the durability and craftsmanship of We Are One. Downtime listeners can join me in experiencing the pinnacle of wheel performance with 20% off throughout February. We Are One is offering you an exclusive 20% discount site-wide, excluding frames and bikes. Just enter the code DOWNTIMEFEBRUARY2024 at the end of the checkout process on weareonecomposites.com. That's Downtime with a capital D, February with a capital F, followed by the number 2024 with no spaces. All right, just a couple of quick things before we get stuck into this week's episode. First up, make sure you never miss an episode by following the podcast. Just hit that button in your podcast app now or find dedicated buttons for all the major platforms at downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can also keep up to date with what's going on by following us on Instagram or Facebook where we're at Downtime Podcast. If you're hungry for more downtime, then join the newsletter at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter for exclusive behind the scenes insights, mountain biking snippets, product reviews, partner offers and more. If you want to support the show, then you can join our Patreon over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash Patreon or grab yourself some merch from downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. 
If you prefer to watch today's episode, you can check out the podcast on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at downtime podcast. All the links I've mentioned are going to be in the show notes for this episode on the website downtimepodcast.com. All right, in today's episode, I'm joined by BMX legend turned mountain biker Brad Sims. From his humble beginnings in BMX, Brad has carved a path with resilience and passion that continues to inspire riders around the globe. But Brad's story is more than just about bikes. It's about exploration, adaptation, and a spirit of adventure. Join us as we journey through Brad's experiences, discover the challenges, triumphs, and unexpected twists that have shaped Brad's path as he shares candid insights into his life on and off the bike. From riding with BMX legends to forging new connections in the mountain bike community. Brad's story is a testament to the power of perseverance and the universal language of two wheels. So without further ado, here's Brad Sims. Brad Sims, welcome to the Downtime Podcast, man. How's things with you today? Thanks for having me on. Um, You know, I'm doing well. Just got back from a long trip and, you know, happy to be home. Good stuff. Yeah, it's always nice to get home, however however fun it is to be away. And we're going to chat a lot about your, your background in this episode. But first, yeah, I saw some of the content that you put out from Columbia, which is where I think you've been recently. I saw you ride in some insane, like, suspended bridge thing that looked like it was made of separate discs. Like, can you tell us a bit about that? What was going on there? Oh, uh, that place, um, you know, a lot of people sent me questions about uh, about the bridge. And it, we just randomly stumbled up into that place because I was out working on this POV video, and well, my friend Robert, they took me to the, they took me uh, paragliding. Then his friend mentioned something about like a suspension bridge. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, there's this there's this bridge that's not far from here, and we go over there. And I said, hold on, before I waste my time going over there, or waste our time, can you make a call? So they called over and said, hey, can he ride his bike across the bridge? I'm like, oh, I guess so, <laughs> you know. So yeah, we got over there. And they're, they're big, like, plastic discs. It looked like tops for, like, manhole cover. Yeah. And uh, I think the first time, actually, when I looked at it, I was a little nervous just because, obviously, I was tethered, tethered to, the, to these uh, cables. Uh-huh. You can't fall off. But it's still actually really scary riding across. So... Yeah, they put all they put this harness on me, and and um, I walked across the first time just to see if I would have enough speed to make it across. And turns out, like you did, but I had to just I had to switch up like what side to to start first. And there's a bit of a language barrier. Like I I do speak Spanish, but it's not great, so we had to walk through a few different things, and I had to get um, so like some extra translations for certain parts of it, but. You just start off, and I was just just rolling really fast on it, and we get down towards the end. You kind you almost come to a complete stop, and I was on my trials bike, so I didn't have uh, big enough gear to actually pedal all the way out. So I ended up having to stop and just walk the bike out. Yeah, pretty wild though. It looked like was it was it hard to balance on? Like, did you have to be pretty accurate down the middle, or did it have enough like side to side to hold you? You had enough speed. You just started up going pretty fast, and it got it was hard to balance once you started to slow down. So when I slowed down, that's when I had to actually like start to pedal. So I took yeah. a few cranks, but you know, I mean, trials bike. I don't I don't even remember. I don't know what gear is even on that bike, but it's so low 
Now, you mean you're going nowhere fast, so you just stop. I just got off and just walked the rest. But even walk, trying to walk towards the end of it because the bridge starts to sway back and forth. Uh-huh. So it feels like you're going to fall off. It makes for yeah, it makes for a pretty insane video. If people haven't checked that out, they definitely should. Let's um, let's talk a bit about your background. Let's go right back to the start. Tell us just a little bit about like how you grew up or where you grew up and how bikes came into your life in the first place. Hmm. Uh, let's see. I grew up in uh, Waldorf, Maryland. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, how let's say the genesis of my bike career or just to yeah, how things started out was I used to play football. I played football, American football for, for years. And one day my uncle came to, came to the house. My grandmother had 13 kids, grandparents. So big family. My uncle, he and I are only six months, I mean, six, six years apart. So while I was at football practice, one day he came to the house. My grandmother dropped him off. He's like 17, 18 at the time. Um, you know, I'm still in, I just started in middle school and I go to practice. I'm the, I was the guy on the field nonstop. I played, you know, running back, middle linebacker, all the special teams. And yeah, just one day he was at the house. He had that bike, he had a BMX bike and he was just jumping around, you know, doing, you know, some hops and stuff. And I looked and I was like, okay, that looks cool. Then I went to, then I went to. I went to practice. Then he, you know, came back home. He was still there. So I get on the bike and I'm jumping around and it didn't take very long to kind of kill my like drive for, for, um, for like, like pursuing like a, this football dream I had at the time. Like bikes immediately destroyed that dream. Like within like, I'd say three days. I was completely over. Yeah, I was completely over. I was like, I want to ride bikes. Like, I, I enjoy the autonomy. I enjoy the autonomy of just, you know, riding around and just doing whatever I want to do on the bike. So that's how everything started out. Yeah. And early days, it was like more dirt based and jump and racing, right? So dirt jumping, BMX racing. Yeah, that's exactly where it started. It, it started, uh, yeah, just riding small dirt jumps rolling around the streets just you know learning bike control then it went and went, then it went straight to uh bmx racing and so, were you yeah. com- were you competitive in that side of things like do you have a competitive spirit and you want to go and enter those races or is it just a fun part of the scene for you at that point yeah yeah definitely competitive nature you know coming from football so you know you have that winning spirit and you want to win, win, win everything. So that same mentality, uh, you know, mapped onto racing. And at my first race when I was 11, my uncle was there because he had already, you know, went to the track a few times and he said, you should definitely go. You should go race. He goes, you'll win the first race. No problem. You'll beat everybody. <laughs> and I was 11. I was like, really? You think I'll win? He goes, yeah, you're going to win. Goes, Trust me. So we go to the, we go, we go to the track. And what do you know? I win my first race. <laughs> it's a good feeling, eh? Especially at that age, like to be naturally straight into winning something is is pretty cool. Yeah, it was a big confidence booster. Yeah. And do like what was the scene like at that point as far as kind of 
sponsorship within the race side were, were was it fairly like quick for brands to start coming your way and wanting to help out or was it a bit of a harder journey um i i had a lot of early early success like with local support mm-hmm. so after i think the first maybe the first year yeah, I picked up uh, local bike shop sponsors. So they were helping with, you know, racing and bike parts here and there. Cool. And it helped you riding. But like where, because I guess the street riding side of things is what a lot of people will know you for. What was it that turned your your eyes towards the street riding? Because obviously the, the, the track racing stuff was going pretty well. Ah, uh, yeah. So... Back then, when it came to riding, if you wanted to be around bike riders, you had to go where riders, where riders hung out. You know, whereas today you have so many different options. There's so many different niches of people who, some people only ride street, some people only ride enduro, and number of things, or some people only race. So, but during that time, there was a, people had more of like an eclectic taste for what they did. I mean, they were more eclectic towards uh, you know riding, and. If I wanted to be around BMX riders, everybody essentially did everything except for, say, Flatlanders. So we would end up going to, I'd go to the track, ride my friends at the track. We'd go to the trails, ride trails, and we'd go, you know, roll around in the streets. So all these, um, anything that had to do with bikes, we would just go in that direction. So you were just naturally, I guess, part of riding street alongside everything else that you were doing it was always something it wasn't a change in direction for you yeah if you wanted to ride bikes you had no if you wanted to if you were if if progression was something that you were that you were interested in and you wanted to just ride bikes be around people you had to go where the bike riders were located yeah, fair. And I've heard you say in uh, other interviews that if it wasn't for BMX, then life could have worked out pretty differently for you. And I think it was coming off the back of a, a challenging experience that you had a bit of a breakthrough with a shook video part. Is that right? What happened in that whole like part of your life? That part, uh, yeah, that was during the time like bit of a you know a roller coaster where I wasn't. Um, Mm. taking advantage of, I wasn't taking advantage, taking all the advantages of, you know, the gifts that been, you know, given to me and the ones I've created for myself when I started, you know, venturing down the wrong path a bit, but, um, yeah, the shook part, I'd say that was by far my, my breakout moment. How did that happen? Like, how did the shook part come your way? Um, during that time, I was still on, I was riding for a company called Bulldog Bikes. And three friends of mine had already gone on a, on a shook trip. So they were there on the trip and I was, I was sending them messages about them. Hey, what are you, um, where are you all going on a trip? And tell me where they're at. Tell me they're hanging out with Chad Shackelford, who was the, the owner of uh, Shook Interactive at the time. And I asked them, I said, hey, was it? I don't know, um, depending on how the trip goes, like, would you mind, you know, passing my name along, tell him that I'd be interested in filming a part for him. 
And he said, yeah, I'll, um, you know, I'll send him a message and let you know what he says. And yeah, he responded was, uh, Carson responded and said, yeah, he'll uh, reach out to you. And I don't know how many months went by. I think it was like four, three, anywhere from like three to five months it went by. Then he reached out to me you know, about filming a video part. So I was like, yeah, I was like, I would love to. Because during that time, anybody had who had filmed a video part with with Chad and they were on Shook, that was their like their breakout moment. Like anybody who had a part in Shook went pro. Like sponsors came after. Yeah, big time. So you picked up um you picked up a team with a pretty healthy travel budget off the back of that video part. Is that right? Yeah. So after that video part came out, I was a, a nominee for um, for Street Rider of the Year. I think it was. I was like, yeah, I was like a nominee for a Rider of the Year or Video Part of the Year. One of those. One of those two. And I received a phone call from from Matt Hoffman, which was kind of, which blew my mind because I was <laughs> during that time I was working for this industrial marine company. So every day after after work. Yeah, I was waking up from like working from six to three and I would go, I would go um, down to my grandparents' house on my lunch break to go lift weights. I'm already doing this laborious job and I'd go and lift weights and and eat on my lunch break. Then um, I received a random call from Matt Hoffman. He's like, hey, Brad, this is uh, Matt Hoffman. I'm like, like, Matt Hoffman? I'm like, really? (laughs) Yeah, and uh, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, is this a is this a joke? And he started talking. I was like, okay, you know, this does sound like Matt Hoffman. I watched interviews, you know, and we started talking. He's like, yeah, I'd be honored to, you know, have you ride for my company. That is a an amazing out of the blue as well. That must have been an incredible call to receive. You must have been stoked with that. I was because I, mean, I was kind of lost for words for saying like who like Matt Hoffman's really calling me right now. This doesn't seem like you know. I'm like, then I was like, how do you get my number? <laughs> <laughs> and you like obviously that's a huge door opening for you. Loads of opportunities. Like I said, it came with a, a healthy travel budget, and you um, you took to travel in a big way. I think like was it something that you'd always wanted to do to travel the world, or did it just feel right at that time? It wasn't something I always wanted to do. It, at first, it was there was a bit of curiosity there, and just from all the things that were taking place around that time, it was also an outlet for me to escape those issues mm-hmm. that were going that were taking place at home. So I would use that as, as an as an excuse or not or other just opportunities just to leave and to go do something else just to get to get away. Yeah. And you loved it so much being out on the road that I think I'm right in saying at the age of 23, you decided to stop buying return tickets. You just stayed, you stayed like on tour basically. Yeah, I would do that because during that time, um, I wasn't earning much money. And so by me being on, when I was on, on with Hoffman and Target, they would give me these, they would give me a per diem. So I was living off that per diem each month. So I would go on as many trips as possible to go to different events, contests. Uh, I would use 
use that per diem to just couch surf, meet riders around the world. Like I had already, my name was on the map. So people, mm-hmm. um, people knew I was at the time. So anytime I'd go to a contest, somebody would invite me to their, to their country. Like I'd be in Germany and people from Poland would walk up and say, Hey man, we're from Poland. It'd be an honor if you came to our country to ride. So I'd take them up on it. I'm like, okay, yeah. Uh, send me a message on MySpace or Facebook during that time. So I would, I would take their name down and um, take a train over or fly over, mostly trains and buses during that time. And that's how like, I created like, a, a network of, of people and friends around the world um, like in my early 20s. Yeah, so you were a yes man, basically. You said, you said yes to all the opportunities that <clears throat> came your way, which was quite a few by the sounds of it. Oh, yeah. I don't think I said no to any travel opportunity back then. That's cool. That's a cool way to live. I'd love to feel like I could do that. But I think for me, like I'd be too nervous about things going wrong or that I'd end up staying with some kind of psychopath along the way. Were there any like sketchy moments in all that travel? Uh, Just just staying with random people or just sketchy moments like... Just in general, like, yeah, putting yourself out there and being in environments that you're not familiar with. So, yeah, whether it's staying with people or just being in parts of the world that maybe you're not familiar when you arrive with, like, the culture and how things work and what's safe and what isn't. Oh, yeah, I've been in a lot of sketchy situations. As far as just staying with with bike riders around the world, no. No. I've, I've stayed with riders who live on little shacks on the side of the mountain with their families. I've stayed with riders whose parents who are extremely wealthy. They would live in mansions. Um, kind of, it's almost just like you just open up Pandora's box. You don't know what you're going to get. So, but I usually end up, I That's- say I'm a good, you know, I, I think I, I vetted most people, like I, I would say effectively. At least to the best of my ability back then, you know. So I would I would talk to people on Skype. I'd talk to them, you know. We'd message back and forth. Um, so that was easy way. But I think for the most part, you know, I think the majority of riders who I've come across have good intentions. Yeah, so true. Yeah, that, 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 that had, yeah, that hasn't been that hasn't really been an issue. Anybody's really trying to like, get over on me. Um, I think the most uncomfortable situations come up when you sometimes you may stay with people or riders and they think that that what they see on videos is how you are 24 seven. And they don't realize Uh that some of that riding is more of an act. It's not what you do on a day to day basis. Some of it is for some people, but I would say for me. So they 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 have those expectations. Like, okay, well, you're coming to hang out with me. So I expect you to perform. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah to be the brad sims that we know from all the video parts it's quite that's yeah. quite tough i guess Did, were most people appreciative of seeing the real brad though like getting to know you as a person rather than just a rider from from those parts right and that's how i would uh vet people judging on how they how they interact with me like on first impression like the riders who would come up to me, even though let's say they were excited and, and, you know, big fans, that was cool. But 
it was more how they conducted themselves around me within like the first 20 or 30 minutes. Like I would, we do a jam. And if mm-hmm. there's a rider around me or some of them do invite me to go places. And the only thing they ask me about is to, is to do tricks nonstop 24 seven. But then there's the other riders who may come up to me and like, Hey man, um, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're happy that you're here and we're, you know, everybody, obviously everybody's excited to see you, but, um, after the jams, though, would you like to go grab some food? You know, come hang out a bit. And the riders who made that offer are the ones who I'm still friends with today. And yeah. there's some that came came back around where they were still, you know, they had they were like starstruck. But then I met them, you know, later on, and they kind of like their whole all of that toned down a bit, and they actually have become like good friends of mine nowadays. So I've I've made friends with. Like, around the world. So it's been, it's been an interesting process. Yeah. It's incredible. And you, you visited some pretty kind of off piece places as well. Am I right in thinking you had some visa issues at one point between, was it Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan and got stuck for a period of time? Uh, yeah. Um, this was, man, when was this? 2000? I want to say, Maybe 2017, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a distro in Almaty, Kazakhstan. They were <clears throat> back when I was riding for um, a BMX a parts company called Merit, and I was also living in Poland at that time. So while I was there, the company reached out to me. So the you know TM from Merit, he said, "Hey, there's people in Kazakhstan." They want to host you. I'm like, really? I'm like, well, Kazakhstan has been on my list for years because I watched this video called The Stands. It was a skate video. And I was like, okay, well, let me put those countries on my list of places to go. Right. So I received this message from, from the guy. He's like, yeah, just go to uh, the embassy, the Kazakh embassy, get a visa. You know, we'll pay for it. We'll fly you out. And I take the train to where was I? I think yeah, either I think I go to yeah, I was in Poznan. I go to Poznan, go there, go to the embassy. The guy inside was one of the most unfriendly counselors that you could ever meet. And I walk in, hello, are you? And he's like, Why do you want to go to Kazakhstan? Show me your passport. Who invited you? Wow. I'm, like, I'm like, man, okay. So I show him my passport. I give him, I give him the the number of the guy who who invited me. He immediately calls him. I thought you know it was just maybe a reference, but he's like, "Show me the number." Boom, 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 boom. Dials the phone. Dials the phone. Let me do it. Dials his number. Calls him up. They're speaking in Russian. I'm like, damn, this is serious. He's like, "Okay, come back in four days. Get your visa." So I paid. I think it was two hundred dollars. Paid two hundred dollars. For the visa, came back, picked up my passport, flew there, show up. People, everybody picks me up. They're all everybody super, you know, hospitable and you know, nice. All the all the trimmings that go along with, you know, when you first meet somebody. And he, yeah, they put me in a like a little a little hotel. I stayed there for three days. I didn't have I didn't even 
well, I, didn't, I didn't have plans on staying long. And I think the trip was only for, it was supposed to be for about a week. Uh-huh. And while I'm there, I'm riding, it's cold. Like the weather, it goes from, it goes from, you know, like 17, then it just drops down to zero. So I didn't really do much riding after that. Then two riders, two or three, yeah, three riders from, from Kyrgyzstan, they were already there. Kyrgyz, who I'm, I'm still friends with today. He now lives in Cyprus, but he sends me, I mean, they start talking to me. They don't, none of them speak English. And just from the time that I was living in Poland, I could understand a lot of the language uh, that was being communicated with them. Yeah. So we'd go back and forth talking a little bit and I would use the Polish I knew to, to try to, you know, you know, manage conversations and a lot of mostly BMX conversation, you know, which is do a trick, this trick 360, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I asked the guy at the time, the distributor, I said, hey, is it possible for me to go to Kyrgyzstan and return, even though I only have a single entry visa? And he says, yeah, it shouldn't be a problem. So I get online, I'm checking, I'm looking at everything like, hmm, will this actually work? So I was like, okay, I'll be back in a couple of days because I know I have, you know, a flight back to back to Poland. I take the I, I leave with those three riders. We go we go over to Kyrgyzstan to Bishkek. Bishkek, Almaty and Bishkek are like three and a half, four hours apart. Uh-huh. Not even that far. Um, and I get there and I just was kind of was blown away by all the the architecture, all the street that was there. So I so I, I filmed a video. I was like, you know what? I'm going to film a video. One of the guys there had a camera. I was like, you know what? I'll just film this video and um, do all this before Christmas. So while um, they're filming, uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, oh, yeah. So I, I finished filming, done everything. And I packed my things the next day and I get ready to, and while I was, um, no, no, yeah, I pack my things. Then I take the bus back to the border. I have my bike, all my luggage. So I'm walking to the border. And the immigration officer looks at me and he goes, just starts waving his finger. He goes, All right, well, what's, what's wrong? He goes, you have a single entry visa. And I immediately I just put my chin in my chest. I'm like, man, I'm like, this is not good. How am I going to get back across? And he looked at me and he started rubbing his fingers. He's like, money. Like, I don't have, I was like, I don't have any money for this. And at that time I was super broke. I had no money. All that was covered by the, um, by the, by the distributor. So I turn around, I call my friend and say, Hey man, I can't, I can't, um, I can't reenter the country. He's like, Jesus, just pay the money. And when you get here, I'll give it to you. I was like, I can't. I was like, I don't have any money for a visa. What do you want me to do? Then the guy quit answering my, he quit answering all my phone calls, all messages. Just wouldn't respond anymore. No way. So I go, so I go back, I go back to, I go back to uh, this guy, William. It was actually one of yet another friend. He actually spoke English, so I told them the whole problem. Then I went and stayed with Curiel and his family. So I ended up staying with him and his family for a whole month. 
until I like till I got paid. I received my payment and everything from one of my sponsors. But I stayed with them for a whole month and it was it was so it got it got so stressful to to the point where I ended up <laughs> taking a private lessons class to learn Russian because of the lack of communication I was having. I, I couldn't communicate with anybody. And even though the yeah. guy, the other guy I told you about who helped me, he spoke English very well. His father was American, but he did not want to really speak English at all, which I was like, okay, I get it, man. I was like, I can speak other languages too, but I don't typically enjoy it as much as speaking English. I mean, I, this is what I use every day. I, my whole life is in English. So when somebody's around and everybody has to stop the whole conversation, you be, you're that person who they have to translate everything for, you know, you can't keep up with the conversation. So, but yeah, that was a bit of an issue, but his family, his family, they were great. They took me in, they, they his mother made all this amazing food and I stayed for, yeah, for the whole month. Then after that, um, once I got money, I flew back to Poland. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, and you've learned like a lot of languages along the way. And I'm guessing you've learned a lot of life lessons as well. Like travel's good for that. Are there like certain things that you feel like really changed in you as a result of all that travel, things that you learned from it? Yeah. I mean, I get to look at, I mean, I'm, I live in one of the most privileged places on earth. So... When I travel, you know, to other countries, I can, you get different perspectives. Yeah, when you, when you leave, you realize that people are more alike than they are different. Yeah. You know, I remember there was one time where I thought just because people were speaking a different language, that they were actually talking about different things. Then I started learning languages and I realized that people talk about the same stuff everywhere. It's not like it's the same politics, the same food and greetings. You know, it might there might be different euphemisms and other things to go along with it, but they're, all, they're talking about the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And everyone's pretty welcoming on the whole. I think like if you're willing to make that bit of effort, like you've done with the languages and stuff, like people people will welcome you in with open arms. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Even if you don't know the language, um, that's why when when I, when people when I hear people say that the first thing they're like, oh, the, these people are so nice, they're so nice. Like, where do you go where people really aren't nice at all? You know, even yeah, if there's true, I've never been anywhere where nobody was nice. You know, I, I you see arrogance, but as far as just people just being completely unfriendly, you don't meet anybody nice. Like, that has that has that hasn't existed for me. I yeah. don't know about for you, but I don't. I don't. No, I agree. I don't yeah, the so. world is in general a pretty friendly <laughs> place for sure. So things are, things are going well, man. You've had a big chunk of travel in your life. You eventually made the decision to come back to the US, and um, you moved to Austin. Is that right? When you came back? No, I I moved back to Maryland. I was in Maryland for a while. Uh, okay. And I'm not sure. Yeah, I lived in Maryland for for a while with um, before my, my friend Brandon. Yeah, I stayed with him for a while, and 
guess I think this was probably around the time where I thought BMX was kind of kind of over for me because yeah, it's it, looking at it from not, like outside, it seems kind of crazy, right? So you've you've had all this success, you've had two X Games medals, you were X Games fan favorite, but it was getting to the point where it, it BMX was challenging for you, right? It was kind of being it was tricky to make ends meet with it. Yeah. It was, uh, well, you know, I think this was probably before. I'm not sure where we were, exactly where we are on the timeline because I spent so many years traveling around. It was like a good decade plus. So but we, we, we can go from there. Um, yeah, I was just sitting around waiting, trying to figure, trying to figure things out because whatever money I was making at the time was, had really started to dry up and. I got an invite. I received an invite to to Asian X Games, so I go out there. Thought I was motivated to ride. <laughs> that was the last thing I wanted to do. I get on the course. I'm in China. I'm like, man, people paid for me to come out here. I'm like, I have to, you know, put forth like a serious effort. Like, I have to commit to this. Get out on the course, ride around for a little bit. Just sit my bike down, I'm sitting next to it, and I've been thinking, like, man, what am I going to do? Like, this is not, I'm like, then I was like, okay, you know what, let me stop whining. Let me stop whining. Let me stop, let me stop running in the Victim Olympics. Let me, uh, let me ride, you know? So I get out on the course, and I started to look at, I started to look at things a bit differently. I'm like, what can I do on this course that most people aren't doing, you know? How are they not? How can I use the course the way they're not using it? How can it benefit yeah. me? So I get on the course and I just started using everything completely different than everybody else. And I qualify, I think, third or fourth. Then the next day they're calling for rain. I'm like, ah, I don't want to ride. I don't want to ride. I don't want to do this. I'm still, like, I'm, yeah, I'm still being my, you know, my own oppressor at this time. I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm like, I just need to focus and do this thing. So I get out there on the course and they call for rain. And like, hey, if it rains, we're going to take the results from from the previous night. If I'm qualifying, I'm like, I'm like, okay, well that's not bad. I'm have some decent money. I can I can live with that. So I get up in the morning. I'm like praying for rain, rain dancing <laughs> at this at this at this time. Not a drop of rain falls out the sky. It's warm. Everything. You know, a little cloudy, get out on the course, blow my first run, blow the second run, nail the third run, end up qualifying. I mean, end up uh, placing second, winning silver. So I did better than qualifying, get silver. I won uh, like $7,000. Then also a friend of mine who lives there, he was working with some company at the time over there so they were doing all these like Lipton tea um, demos with Avril Lavigne so I was able to do a bunch of demos right after winning right after winning that money from the contest doing a bunch of demos around China for like another month and I leave and um, go back to this so that like kind of gave me a bit more motivation to keep going for for some time. Uh huh. Yeah. But, but it did become it did become harder. I think it was like towards twenty twenty when you I think you were in Austin at that point. 
where you, like you had these X Games medals, you had this X Games fan favorite, but the money was kind of running out, and the, for some reason, the sponsorship and the support from brands just wasn't there at that point. Yeah, <clears throat> that happened. That that was. I would. I I blame I would yeah I I, I blame myself for. For that, I mean, it was. I wasn't consistent enough during those years, whereas like I had built up a big name for myself, but I didn't give any. I didn't give brands a a reason to really trust me, like to trust what I was doing. Even though at that time, I think I was maybe a little too far ahead of myself. Like I was ahead of my time in terms of like like the traveling because everybody was at one time the, the traveling and like this quest for new spots and creating videos all around the world that was the thing, you know, and that was like my whole brand at the time. I was out riding in Mongolia, this country, that country, but I never had, I didn't have filmers with me to really, you know, document a lot of. Um, the writing that I did in those countries, little photos here and there, you know, kind of bro cam over there. And once, um, yeah, when that started to kind of fizzle out and then, then I found myself being in the U S more, then it was like this make or break moment. I was like, well, I'm either going to go and work construction. Cause I don't have any, I'm like, all right, well, I don't, I mean, I've, I've I've created my skills with athleticism. Uh-huh. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't go spend years in college. So what, what can I, what can I do? I'm thinking, all right. I mean, even if I if I I don't get to get what I want, I can still, you know, find some sort of balance. But I'm at my friend Brandon's house. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, all right, how can I, how can I start this process? So I started. Making posters, I made these posters, and I was selling them online, just just through my Instagram. And I made like a few grand selling posters, just you know, get myself back on my feet. I did that for a little while. Then I moved back down to Austin, and our friend Matt shows up. He's like, "Yeah, I want to come down. We're hanging out." So he and I started riding, and this just something just clicked. I'm like, I have to do this. I'm like, if I don't start now, um, you know, I'll, I'll never, I'll, yeah, I'll never know. So I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can. I, was like, I can, I can control the effort. I can't control the outcome. So if I sit around and I never, I, like, I don't want to be the person who sits around and like, my testimony is I never tried hard enough or I just gave up. So, he and I just went out while he was in town for a month with our iPhones. And I'm like, well, how can I create the biggest bang, you know, in a short amount of time? And I was like, social media, Instagram, yeah. instant, instant gratification, you know? I'm like, boom, these dopamine hits real quick. Bang, 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 bang. You know? And we go out, pass him the phone. He films me, films me. And at first people were like, Hey, this is crazy. And like, why are you doing this? Like, you know, you're you're a well-known rider in the industry, man. You don't have to do you don't have to do this. 
I'm like, no, no, I have to. And some, I started getting some pushback from people. Some people were into it. And then, then some people didn't really know what was the end goal. And at that time, I mean, I just knew that I had to prove a point. So during that process, people were like, we don't know how long this is going to keep going, but it's cool to see. And I'm like, well, don't worry about when it's going to stop because the train is fueled up and it's going like <laughs> nothing's going to stop this train right now. Like it's going. And while I had that level of motivation was un- unlike any other time. I don't I don't know if I could. Yeah, I think at that time I was, I was 35. Yeah. Or 35. And. Yeah, Matt, he, he and I were just feeding off one another. He'd go do something crazy. I go do something we go back and forth and I made it a goal. I, I would write down like a trick list of spots to go to. I was like, I'm not going home until I have at least a banger from the day, sometimes two, sometimes three. So I would just feed the algorithm day after day. And I guess every other riders at that point were still focused on like video parts, right? They'd keep the bangers for their videos and they weren't releasing them on Instagram, which is, is kind of why you stood out. Is that how you see it? Oh yeah, well, one hundred percent. I I completely abandoned the idea of filming a video part after I had filmed two X game parts, and I, I mean, I, it gave me a lot more exposure, and I'm super thankful to have the opportunity to film those video parts. I, I mean, Christian, he and I did a great job. But he put in loads of work, you know, just searching for spots, you know, just driving around. He, yeah, he was a he was in the he was in the in the trenches with me through the whole process. But after those two video parts, and I just and I didn't see anything. You know, I didn't I didn't get the outcome that at least that I desired. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I mean, what came with it was a, a bunch of new yeah, loads of new followers on Instagram came from those video parts. But I didn't see any any real like life changing sort of like financial gain, something that was just going to at least just just soften the reality of like, being a you know a, I guess a, an aging BMX rider who was ready to just re-enter the re-enter <laughs> the world with like very little you know. Um, life experience outside of just riding a bike and traveling around the world. Now there's loads of experience in there, but as far as like work experience in the world, like I didn't have that there only. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly I understand. I understood hard work and all those things that came with it, but it was never applied anywhere else other than physically and mentally within like a bike space. Yeah. That makes total sense. And that Instagram bangers approach, like it properly took off. Eh? You you got traction with it pretty quickly, I think. Instagram actually ran one of your clips on their account, which is pretty insane. It was, uh, yeah, it was a cool response. Yeah, it happened, I would say, after a few weeks. No, no, no. Thing stuff didn't happen instant, instant, instantaneously. 
but it's the traction started. That's when the when I when people really started to pay attention more and more, and my following started to increase um, just daily. So I'd say by I think after like four months of doing that, that's when people who were people there were people watching me who I had no clue about. Who I, I didn't know like, the top mountain bikers in the world were paying attention to me. I didn't know that like famous uh, celebrities and rappers and stuff were watching my page because that's how much it was. That's not, that's how that's where all that's where the, the footage was going. So I'm like, well, I can just do this. This is maybe this is the new thing, you know. I mean, everybody's locked in their house. We have a crisis, you know. We have COVID going on, and I was like, well, you know, there's a famous saying: never waste a good crisis. So people were sitting home. They're on their phones, watching their phone. Like I'm, I'm in Texas. Texas is one of the states where, you know, Texas, Texas wasn't locked down very long. Maybe like two weeks or something. But after that, people were out. I was out riding my bike, passing. Like, oh, you couldn't be in groups. Like, okay, I have one person. Here's my here's my friend. Here's my filmer. We film each other. Streets were empty. So we took full advantage of that opportunity. That's incredible. And it really started to turn around things for you, right? Like it's quite late for BMX athletes generally for their career to really start surging at the age of like 35, 36. But you know, you got oh. BMX Rider of the Year, Nora Cup Rider of the Year. It went pretty well, eh? Yeah, it was actually that's that's late. I, I would say if you don't have if you don't hit your stride in BMX by the time you're early twenties, and you don't do something exceptional along the way, yeah, there's a there's a high chance that it's not going to happen for you. I've seen other guys hit around 28. Like, um, yeah, my friend Demarcus, he started to get some real shine around 28. But other mm-hmm. than that, uh, you don't really see it too much or at all. Must have felt good though to feel yeah. like you were you were back and really starting to have an impact and uh, in a way that I guess you never expected to through the Instagram route. It was. It, it was... It was almost like it was just like delayed gratification in a way, because I don't, because because at one time I was very much like the riders who, I mean, I still am to a certain degree, where like you save your best clips for a video part and you put them online. Like I was when Instagram first came out, when they first, when it was all photos, then they when they, when they when they included the the video feature. I was totally against. I was so anti. I'm like, no, like, no way. Because I started seeing younger, younger guys like um, Stevie Churchill. Yeah, Stevie Churchill would would post these like, crazy bangers on Instagram, like, or even he he would post them on Twitter. Like, You're posting these clips on Twitter. This is just, you know, kind of this is really disappearing. Isn't like okay, you can go back there, I mean, you can go back and watch it there too. But these are just clips he was throwing on Twitter. Cause so I was very um, like anti like social media bike clips for a long time, and mm-hmm. I just said, you know what? Instead of pushing back on this, well, I'll just why not utilize it to my advantage and just rise with the occasion. And it benefited me until 
I'd say it benefited me until it started to become uh, overwhelming. As in trying to film a banger for like every day and keep feeding the algorithm? Exactly. Because I think after one year was fine. It was, I I think I started to go into about a year and a half, like not quite a year and a half, but like a year. Yeah. Maybe close to a year and a half. And I started, it started to stress me out to the point because I didn't realize how big of a, a wave I created. And also didn't, didn't, I didn't understand the level of expectation that I put on myself through the, through the lens of brands who were sponsoring me or who were going to potentially sponsor me. I think had I continued that same drive for another year, I would have backed myself in a corner and I think it would have probably ruined bikes for me because then how would anybody not expect me to perform on that level when I did it, when I, when I gave you the playbook for two years straight? Yeah. It was like, Hey, the pace, right? Yeah. Yep. So, and you, I I guess off the, sorry, go on, man. Oh, so, so yeah, I had to, I had to, I had to talk with, with a, a close friend and he was like, you can close that chapter now. You know, you can celebrate your achievements and, you know, be more strategic in other places. Like you can still ride at that level, but you don't have to put that much pressure on yourself and do it day after day. Like you could do it once a week, twice a week, but just be, be intentional with what you're doing. Be and communicate with the brands how you want to move forward and go from there. Wise words. Yeah, it's good to have people like that around you. I want to talk a bit about like the mountain bike side of things and how that kind of took off. But first, I think I went back to some old props roadfalls um, <laughs> to do a bit of research. And I saw you, you were in roadfalls 16, I think it was. And there was a really short clip of you on a GT mountain bike in that video, looking like you were maybe about to drop into something, but maybe just messing around. Was that your first time swinging a leg over a mountain bike? As far as you remember, it's a good few years ago now. Um, no, I mean, I, when you say mountain bike, like just like a very normal yes. recreational mountain bike from like, what's it? yeah. Yeah. Like a 26 inch uh, no. wheel, like off-road uh, bike. No, that wasn't my first time. No, I had okay. already been on one, but yeah, that that I do remember that clip, yeah, from uh, from from uh, Road <laughs> Fools. Wasn't my first time, but it was the yeah. first time. And you know what? It never even crossed my mind that I was going to ride bike, not ride mountain bikes, ever. Not from that yeah. clip. If somebody, if had somebody told me, Road Fools, Road Fools sixteen, that hey, in twenty twenty one or twenty twenty, you were going to start riding mountain bikes. I would have probably laughed. I'm like, no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a big shift. And especially like, I don't know how, whether it's changed and we, maybe we can talk about that in a bit, but like BMX always looked at mountain biking, like it was a bit lame. I think like certainly when I was younger anyway, that was the impression, but let's talk a bit about how you got into mountain bike more recently and more seriously. Cause was it, were you shooting your X games part? And had a bit of a break from filming. What? Tell us that story because it involved, um, I think Brandon Semenuk. 
Yeah, I was out riding. I was hanging out with Christian. Let's see, I was with Christian. Christian was already heavy into mountain bikes, and he was, you know, a big fan. He was already like riding and doing stuff. But he hit me up. Well, I mean, he didn't hit me up. Me and we were together. So I was so banged up from from filming and falling down like the day before, or day like just I needed some sort of break. I need to get my mind away from concrete and steel. <laughs> and, and he's like, hey, man, I don't know if you want to take a break for a day or whatever, but you want to go ride mountain bikes? I'm like, I'm like, hmm. I'm like, what kind of mountain biking? Like, he's like, there's a spot over in Santa Cruz, like these jumps. You know, he's like, Brandon and Logan Pete and Billy guys, they have a bunch of bikes. Uh, they have enough mountain bikes for all of us. I think yeah, Corey Martinez is with us too. So it was Christian, Corey, um, Brandon, Logan, all of them. And uh, I forget the other guy's name. So yeah, we show up and you get to the house and they have all these bikes. Brandon's on, Brandon has two bikes or three bikes or four bikes or something. And the other dudes, they have bikes. So Christian's on one bike, Brandon's on his e-bike at the time. Corey's on a bike and I'm on this this other kind of clapped out um you know downhill bike. But we get to I hadn't ridden trails in a while. I was like, whatever. I haven't ridden trails in probably two, three years. I know how to jump. It shouldn't be shouldn't be an issue. We go we get there and the first jump is like a big table. It's pretty long, I don't know, probably three meters, three, four meters long. I'm like, hmm. I'm like, well, I don't, think, I don't know if I've hit a jump that big before on my BMX bike. How's this going to feel? So Brandon leads us down the trail. I'm like, All right, well, here we go. Hit the first jump. Cleared, no problem. Do like a little, you know, tweaking my bike around. Go around some little turns, hit a few jumps. We get down to the bottom. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, that was incredible. And I'm like, why haven't I been doing this? I'm like, why have I not been riding these type of bikes? I think a lot of the... <laughs> I would say mount, when I first started seeing mountain bikes, they looked really strange to me. You know, like, you know, like the single leg forks and all that stuff. Yeah. I used to see, I used to see a lot of mountain bikes like that at, at the bike shops when I was, when I was younger. And I always thought it, it was kind of weird and they're really high. The geometry looked strange. So yeah. I never grabbed it. And also, I mean, during that time, I mean, the bike that I was able to afford, or at least my parents were able to afford to buy where it was a you know a three hundred dollar BMX bike at that time. So I don't even know what mountain bikes cost back. Would you, how much would you say a mountain bike cost in ninety seven? Like a decent one. Yeah, still still pretty expensive. I don't know what the conversion would be, but a lot more than you'd pay for a BMX, a decent BMX. Yeah. So that's that was like my real intro to mountain biking that day during uh, X Games. But then I asked, and I was yeah, there we go. That ties into it. I was asking them, I was like, how much is this bike? And clearly, I mean, Brandon's on a you know, top of the line bike. So the bike that he rides, he was riding at the time, is not going to be the same bike that your average consumer goes out and buys. Like, hey, you might go yeah. buy a three thousand dollar mountain bike. He's he's going to be on a ten thousand dollar bike because well, he's going to push it to limits, and that's what he needs to ride. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that was like the most incredible day. We went out the road, we had fun. Then 
we actually ended up meeting up with 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 those guys the second day he came out while I was filming. Yeah, so Brandon Brandon was out on on his on his BMX bike cruising with us and yeah, we were filming, working on some stuff. Nice. What was it like riding with Brandon? That not many people can say their first proper mountain bike ride was with Brandon Seminuk, I don't think. Um to be honest, I had no clue who he was. <laughs> not even the slightest idea. Nothing. But when he pulled out a Red Boy helmet and I saw I was like, hmm. Oh like, you got a Red Boy helmet. That means something. It must be pretty good. I'm, yeah. I'm like, that definitely means something. And I was <laughs> He was riding. I mean, I didn't. I couldn't really. I didn't really see much while he was out front because I was like fourth or fifth. actually, I was always in the back of the pack. Just started me, uh-huh. and but then there were some other jumps that were like pretty big on the side, and I think he he got his. No, he wasn't on a slope bike. He was on his enduro bike when I asked him. And and Christian's he's like, no, nah, that's that's the that's the dude right there. That's the guy. I'm like, okay, so I just start calling out tricks. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you do a three table? Do a big three invert over there? Yeah, yeah, I got. He's, he was like, yeah, I got you. Like coming right up, goes down, drops in, boom, cranks this huge three invert. Like, All right. Then like the tricks just kept coming. I was like, big flip whip, like cork, big cork seven twenty, and like, okay. Then um, I got on my phone. I was like, let me check out this guy. Let me see who this dude is. And I was like, oh. This is like mountain bike royalty right here, you know? So, yeah, that was my intro to to Brandon, Logan, Pete, and those guys there. But it was, I'd say if I had like, if that was, I think that that was the the best impression of mountain biking I could have ever wished for, you know? Definitely. Yeah, that's a good. It didn't, to, it, it didn't uh, involve it, it. didn't involve climbing. <laughs> you know, it didn't involve climbing or any sort of like it. It catered to the type of riding that I want to do, or I think what most BMX riders want to do. So it, it was it was perfect. Yeah, so I think a good usually, yeah, usually if I, when I'm with other BMX riders and they want to. Or they're thinking about doing it. I take them. I'll take them somewhere fun. Like we're gonna go somewhere. I'm not gonna take you somewhere where we have to go climbing first. So I think it, for most people, it'll, it'll ruin your experience. You go do some brutal climb, yeah, and that's the whole day. Like we'll take you to a, a really good bike park. We'll do that. Then once you get, you understand like what you can, what the bike is capable of doing, and what you can do. Then we can get into the more like more rugged kind of rural areas where you have to do some climbing and get to like different spots. But I think the first, the very first intro most people should have, if they have a sort of background, is to go to a park first. Yeah, for sure. Show them the fun side of it before the, uh, the sweating. So how, how do you get from there then to decide into like make mountain bike part of your focus as a professional athlete? <sighs> I mean, honestly, I didn't really give it any thought because I didn't know it would, be, it, was, it would even be possible to just to get to catch some sort of traction from a mountain bike brand. 
you know, just for writing. Then I saw Nigel, Nigel, uh, sponsored by Specialize. So I thought he was just riding around on the on the Specialize. I was just part of part of what he had, you know, part of his agreement with them. I was like, well, okay, I was like, well, maybe I can do the same thing with a with a brand. You know, maybe they'll make me a BMX frame, and I'll eventually start riding mountain bikes and go from there. You know, I'll be able to do both. And uh, let's see, let me see what happened. Uh, oh, so I got, I started talking to 510. Uh-huh. This was, you know, with all the BMX stuff that was going on. And, uh, and I was looking for a sponsor at the time because I didn't have anything. I was like, well, I need, I'm going to, I need to, I'm going to shoot my shot. I'm going to see if there's a brand that nobody in BMX has at the moment. And we'll see if somebody will actually sponsor me. And I saw videos, Tommy G, he's riding. And I see Adidas. I'm like, Adidas 5 I'm like, what is that? So I, we had been talking a bit. So I reached out to him and I asked him for a contact, which I don't usually like doing, but I asked him for a contact. And, I said, and he's like, yeah, here, here's the person. You can... um. You could reach out. So I reached out, sent a message. You know, we sent a little email and back and forth. And uh, okay, yeah, we'll we'll send you some we'll send you we'll send you some shoes, you know, and product, see how you like it. And the second I put the shoes on, people mountain bikers started to notice. And this is like I said, this is still before I realized I mean this is still before um before I had, before I knew, a lot of mountain bikers were watching me. Then I started talking more, and um, I popped a question: I'm "Like, is it possible? Like, you all have any interest in sponsoring a BMX rider?" And I see loads of people asking me about the shoes, and I was like, "At this point, like, you don't have anybody. I, was like, I can do this myself. I can. I, was like, I don't think you need a full BMX team at the moment, but I said like, I could be the first rider." To be on there and you know get the ball moving, then later on we can build from there. And like, well, um, we we can see that, but at the moment I think you should. You might want to entertain something, some other other brands. And I'm like, damn, I don't know if that it's gonna be good, but I think it was just more like a vetting process, uh-huh. you know, to see how serious I was, how dedicated I was going to be to really. You know, partnering up with a brand or, you know, and I think another like three or four months went by and I was still kind of unsure. And then finally sent another email. I was like, whatever. I was already on. I was on a BMX trip and I'm like, I'm going to send another email right now. Like I got it. In my, I have it. This mindset. I'm like, they're going to sponsor me. I'm like something like, I mean, why not? Like, why would they not? Like, they're I'm like, you're going to sponsor me. Like, yeah, you are. So I sent one more email. And um, TM at the time responded. She's like, okay, what do you need to make this happen? I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I knew it. Yes. And um, I was like, well, I was like, footwear and apparel. I was like, we can, you know, we can do, you know, like, I think that would, that would really get the ball moved for me. It would change my, my situation. And we talked for a little bit. Took, yeah. Even for at that time, it was like another six months before it really came to fruition. So, um, 
Yeah, actually, that was exactly six months. Yep, anywhere from six to five. And finally got a contract and signed. And um, that was, I made a, made a, yeah, I made that announcement for, for 510. Mm-hmm. And people went crazy. It was like, I remember that post and there was like over a thousand comments and people were like, they're like, finally, like, well-deserved and all this and blah, blah, blah. And then uh started talking to Maxis. Maxis came right after that. But Maxis is also, you know, they make BMX tires and they make bazillion types of tires. So yeah. Maxis came on board. They started talking to me. Then... um I started talking to my manager about about mountain biking. He's like, "Yeah, you really want to ride mountain bikes?" I'm like, I'm like, "Yeah." I was like, "I remember I had a, like, a really fun day out riding with Brandon and him." I was like, "I think I could, you know, at least have some sort of impact in mountain biking. You know, maybe change up some things. Let's uh, let's see what we can do." And there was like ten. There were so many brands talking to me at one time. I think it was like 10, 12 different mountain bike brands. But Canyon, that's awesome. Came came at me. Came. They were the most enthusiastic. They were just, um, yeah. They were yeah. They were just right on the front line. Just they wanted everything, and they were. I was yeah. I was the most enthusiastic. The most. Whenever you think of like partnering with a brand, and you talk with like brand managers and stuff, that's exactly what. Um, I think any any person who's gonna who's willing to partner with a brand, that's what they would want. You know, real enthusiasm, like authenticity, and that's what they met me with. So it was a no it was a no brainer. There, I was like, I'm I'm going where you know people who 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 uh, who actually who value me and showing 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 me uh, showing my my worth. Yeah, that's amazing to hear, man. And like your background, obviously, is in BMX, so no suspension. I think you ride brakeless on BMX as well. Was it mm-hmm. was it a big adjustment to get used to a mountain bike? Like, how did you find getting up to speed and getting tricks and things out that you were like happy with? Was it a big process, or did you did you take to it quite easily? Mm, jumping jumping has always come easy to me. It's been that's an easy process. Breaking breaking is. A different story, especially front brakes, like learning how to slow down before you go into a turn versus breaking in the turn. Um, Just riding technical things, you know, speed adjustment. I'm not. I actually haven't been on the mountain bike in a little while now, but when I get back on it, I I find myself still having to readjust because when I'm pedaling around in the streets, I'm only moving I'm not going very fast unless I'm sprinting to do something big. Yeah. Uh, depending on the type of mountain bike you do, you're riding fast all the time. So there's a real speed adjustment there. There's braking, there's, you know, the suspension, learning how to preload. Um, also just learning the mechanics of the bike, you know, fixing the repairs. Um, that stuff. Uh, pedal striking. I don't really worry about pedal striking when I'm riding BMX. But you're like you're climbing, um, just compression. Like you might jump off of something and you, anything. 
just learning how to reposition your body. Because when I first started riding, I would, oh my God, I would get so many tire burns on my ass from uh, from jumping. Because I'm so used to being on a smaller yeah. bike. And, you know, you have a bigger wheel, so the wheelbase. Um, there's a lot of things that are that are fast, that are, the BM, BMX is more, it's twitchy. Everything's, everything's twitchy and there's no suspension. You are your own suspension. Mountain bike, you're moving faster, but you're, when you start doing tricks, everything slows down. The tricks aren't as fast. You have to wait longer, the wheelbase. So, whereas that's really the big, that's the huge adjustment for me. And now I have, now I'm riding multiple bikes. I ride the trials bike, BMX bike, mountain bike. It's always easy for me to go from the BMX to the bigger bike. The biggest challenge is going back to the BMX bike. Interesting, because it moves, everything's happening faster, yeah. You're, mm-hmm. So you're known for this like powerful style, big moves on the BMX. Did you feel a pressure to bring like insane stuff straight away on a mountain bike? How, how did you approach that? Mm, no, but I put that pressure on myself just because okay. I wanted to... I wanted to have a, a meaningful like, impact on what I was on what I was doing because um, I had no track record, I had no track record of riding a mountain bike, and obviously you know there's going to be some pushback from from people like, hey, you, yeah, you're a well-known BMX rider, but how do you just walk into the mountain bike industry and pick up the best deals in mountain biking? Uh huh. So I immediately yeah, so that, just, that pressure's there, yeah. Yeah. So I immediately just started doing, you know, so I guess some standout things. I think I think my first clip was me doing like a gap to like curb wall ride into like into this creek bed. People were people were excited. I now I was the mountain bike industry was very supportive. When I first signed, when I made my announcement for Canyon, that post blew up as well. Um it was like a bit of a, I just did like a 360 and a FaceTime with, with uh, Fabio. And that's when I found out um, the mountain bike industry had been watching me. I didn't know from 510. I didn't know from, from the 510 post because I hadn't been on a mountain bike. And I didn't, I didn't know from, from Maxis because I was still on a BMX bike. But when I got on the mountain bike, that's when the comment section went crazy. I'm like, who are these people? I'm just I'm just seeing all of these, you know, uh, you know, just verified pages, just one after another. Like this rider, that rider. I'm like, let me click and see what these guys are. So I look at these guys, look at these pages. And these guys have hundreds of thousands of followers. They're like, you know, at the top of the game in mountain biking. There's there's everything from from racers to to uh, slope style guys to trials people, cross country. Everything. So it's well over a thousand comments. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, so you all been watching the whole time. Like, I have no clue. <laughs> then I started, you know, following various accounts and started talking to people and communicating. And they're like, arms wide open, like, we've been waiting for you. That's so good to hear, man. That's so good to hear. It's nice to hear that mountain biking has been a welcoming space. What about the response from the BMX world? Was that were people stoked for you kind of in the opposite direction? Because like I, I mentioned earlier, I've always had the impression, certainly back in the day anyway, where like BMX has looked at mountain bikers and were like, well, that looks a bit rubbish. Like, what are they doing? 
Like how how did your BMX like friends and colleagues respond? <clears throat> there was BMX industry did not take that well at all. There were loads of people who were, you know, extremely they were happy for me, but people thought that I was gonna immediately just abandon BMX. And um so I see I see yeah, a lot of pushback, a lot of a lot of negativity. And far more than I had ever imagined. So that was that was weird. That was, yeah, that was weird to me. Um, at one point, I think I kind of went into hiding for a minute. I didn't. I didn't really want to be on uh, Instagram for a little while. I was like, "This is crazy. I'm just, I'm getting attacked day after day after day." I think people's anybody in BMX who like eventually. Starts to become successful, and BMX catches wind of it. Like, there's some weird pushback, and like, okay, this person's like fi- actually like financially able to take care of themselves. There's you get meet with a lot of resistance, uh-huh. and I guess I understand. I'm trying to look at it from the other side too, because riders who were attacking me, some of them were like. You're like one of the last like, um, well-known, I guess, sort of mainstream riders who hasn't really, um, what they would say, sold out, you know? And because I, yeah, I was just riding. I post on Instagram. I was just doing my thing at, without having without having any real representation at the time. Then the biggest sponsors come to come knocking on my door, and I get them and. Yeah, I pulled back from some of the writing, but at, at, at what what point? Like, how long do people think that I can continue to ride at at that level? Even, I mean, how long do you think that I want to ride at that level for? Yeah, for my own personal enjoyment. I mean, I mean, a lot of I did a lot of stuff during that time that I wanted to do that I was that never in a I mean, just my style changed so much within like a two year time to where uh-huh. the stuff that I thought of doing, it was like, I have to get it out there. I got to change my life in some way. So yeah, a lot of the, yeah, the resistance that I was met from brands, I mean, people, I mean, from, uh, from writers, some people left, some people there. I mean, I, I still receive it now. It's, you know. I could post twenty five BMX clips. Uh, I could post twenty five BMX clips back to back, then post one mountain bike video. Somebody will say, "Somebody will say, um, yeah, I'll be glad when you get back on the mountain bike." I'm like, I just post twenty five clips, <laughs> all BMX. Now I post one mountain bike. I'm like, how? Like, like, what do you mean? So, I don't know. It's always. Yeah. It's, I think it's like that. It's. There are a lot of people who are really good at something and and they might not have all they might not check all the boxes. But like they're really good and if it doesn't happen then you know they project but it's the 1% with everything. If you look at yeah. look at football, look at football. I mean, how many people in the UK want to pay, play for Manchester United? Everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how many people like I was just in Latin America? 
all those kids down there, they want to be the next Messi, the next Cristiano Ronaldo. One percent of them are going to make it, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah. yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough one for sure. So yeah. it's good. It's good to hear that you, yeah, you've been welcomed into the mountain bike world. That's that's awesome. Like, what what do you personally want to achieve? Like, to put your stamp on the mountain bike world, both from like, I guess, a style and a content perspective, but from a representation perspective as well, right? Uh, let me see. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I wanna, I wanna make a you know a solid video. You know, um, I, I think. Mountain biking for me is it's a it's a transition out of BMX. I'm not going to ride BMX forever, you know, especially street riding. Like, yeah, it, that's 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 home for me. But it, mountain biking gives me so many other avenues to where I can ride with people my age. You know, I'm not constantly going out. I'm like, I mean, I, I have. That's the one thing about BMX. Like it, you get to, you ride with people who are 10, 15, 20 years younger than you are. But it's yeah. also for me like now, like I'm, I'm in a space where I'm, I'm nearing 40. And I can't just call up people the way I used to. And like, hey, you want to go do X, Y, Z? Now it's like, hey, uh, well, I have a wife and kids. I'm, you know, I'm a family man. I got to check in on this thing. So like lifestyle change is, is big. So I think with me, mountain biking helps me uh, transition into more adult life. Mm-hmm. Like the riding I do, like the traveling. Um, I do want to, you know, push myself to make, you know, more interesting content. And also just use mountain biking as a, as a tool to help get more of my friends into it and show them, hey, you have other options other than, just this one bike, like you can have fun on more than one bike, and it'll be cool. Like you can go to the, you can go to the park over here, and like, like mountain biking mountain bikers will high five you and say, "Hey, come come ride this or whatever." So, yeah, that's cool, man. And you've been you've been putting quite a lot of focus into the YouTube stuff recently. I think is that fair? Uh, yeah, I started. It hasn't been much uh, mountain biking. It's been more BMX. Just BMX is much easier to film. Which I've I've uh-huh. come to I had to come to terms with um, <laughs> when I first started filming some mountain bike stuff, just because it's more difficult to tell the story on the mountain bike. Yeah, for sure. Especially if you're in the mountain somewhere, and if you want to go mountain biking is, is like more of an event. When you go out, if you want to go film or do something. Like, you load up the bikes. You may have to drive, unless you live somewhere. Unless you live in the mountains, you don't have to drive. Or whatever, but you have to. You pack up. You drive to a park or to a certain location. You may have to climb forty-five minutes to get to the spot. Then you can ride in this one area. Whereas, when I get on on the BMX bike, I just go out. You know, I may, I may, I may drive, but I'm saying, all right. Well, there's some stairs. There's a handrail. There's stuff that. The state, you know, has built. So you just gonna do it. Just mountain bike just requires a bit more, a bit more planning. It was more strategic. I like it, but it also is a is a big challenge. 
Definitely. Well, and you took that uh, traveling to ride to the next level recently. You did a little video series with Canyon where you flew around in a, a friend's plane visiting people to go and ride with them. How did that all come together? It was a pretty, pretty different project. Yeah, it was. That was fun. Um, I was down in Oaxaca doing a 510 shoot and I talked about like, some sort of project in uh, Fraser. He said, like, hey, I have, I'm, I'm working on my pilot license now. I also have a friend, he's already a pilot and he's a filmer, filmer, producer, all these things. And he was like, we should make a project. We should do something. I'm like, all right, well, let's just see what we can, let's see what we can put together. And I guess like six, seven months had passed by and we had been talking about, you know, planning out the project and some other projects that I had in mind that fell, had fallen through. And, uh, yeah, go out to Whistler and had my first Whistler experience, which was fun. And we started the trip from there. I had no idea how much actually goes on and goes into aviation until, until, um, we actually started to, uh, I guess participate in the whole process. Everything yeah. from like fueling, also how expensive it is. Like I'm driving around, and I'm like, oh yeah, let me put thirty in here, let me put forty, and you know, and the tank's full. He filled that plane, and like, all right, we're going to stop here, and like eight hundred dollars right here, like, all right, seven hundred here, nine hundred here, <laughs> you know, um, and also just the the number of safety checks that has to be done. Uh huh. It's um. I think people take for granted how take for granted like what they what they what what goes on in flying just because they've made it commercial flying they've made it very comfortable. Yes, true. To the point where I mean, people 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 complain about things, but it's a lot of minor things like baggage or a person maybe being. Um, overweight and they're, you know, encroaching on their space or something. Obviously those are annoying things. Maybe somebody is super obnoxious or a baby crying things, some things that you just, you have no control over. Yeah. But for the most part flying, it made it very comfortable. You know, you just, you sit there. I don't enjoy flying all that much, but I, but after flying private with in Mike's plane and looking at, all the things that he has to do to, in order to keep me safe, the yeah. least I can do is just kind of sit there and keep my mouth closed. <laughs> You've got a, a new appreciation for air travel. Yeah, right? I'm not. I'm not. You're not. You're not doing anything. Anybody, if you're if you're really flying, you know, you're sitting there. Cool. If you can afford to upgrade, you can be in economy plus or business class. Even better. Like it's great up there. Um, economy. Yeah, flying economy is not really fun you know you're, you're cramped up but if i had the responsibilities of a pilot or co-pilot i'd choose to be back there. i actually thought about getting like a ppl and i was like i don't want that responsibility <laughs> yeah it's a big deal you know? eh? oh i see people losing their minds in the airport and i'm still surprised that even like some of the most frequent flyers they still have the same behavior in the airport Especially like around baggage, people who crowd around the carousel, 
I'm like, do you realize yeah. if you back up, if you back up 10 feet, everybody can see their bag and you can, you know, you can walk up one at a time and grab your luggage. Like standing on the carousel isn't going to make you, isn't going to make your bags come out any faster. You know, all you're doing is yeah. preventing other people from seeing their bags because you're selfish. Yeah. It never changes, man. It never changes. As part of that trip in the plane, you rode with uh, Jesse Malamed, who's a, a listener favorite on the podcast. Um, how was that? Like one of the fastest enduro riders on the planet um, in his home turf as well. I think you rode in the in the Whistler area. Like what was it like riding with Jesse? Oh, Jesse's incredible. Um, I had briefly learned about him because he went on Canyon and we shared some of the spo- same sponsors, but I didn't realize it. I mean, I just had no idea. Like, I don't know how good Jesse is. I know he's on team, you know, and he's enduro guys. Like, he must be good, but just by somebody telling you that another person is good doesn't doesn't translate, you know, thoroughly until I started to ride with him. Now I'm like, all right, this guy's the real deal. Yeah. So yeah, we're just riding. We're going through. We're taking some laps, going through certain parts. Then there's this one trail where I had a pretty pretty nasty crash. It wasn't that bad. I just kind of tumbled over, but Jesse. I mean, it's his home turf. I went through there, then I watched him go through, and I was like, how did you do that? <laughs> just full on, just, I mean, he was, whatever he did through there, I mean, it was something that I don't know how to do yet, but it was it was uh, great to see. Yeah, it's amazing to have those opportunities, man. Have you ridden or had the chance to ride with any of the other Canyon riders? You've got Sam Pilgrim, Fabio Widmer, Chaos Seagrave, like, there's some insane talent and lots of different styles and approaches across the Canyon team these days. Yeah. You know, I haven't written with Fabio. We've, I've met him a few times. Um, I've written with Gabriel. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. The day we did like a, did a Canyon collective and we're all just kind of cruising around. Same with Sam, but we actually haven't had like a proper riding session together, but I have written with, like most of the people on the team, or at least I've had a conversation with them. Yeah, it's a talented bunch. It'd be nice to see you all together putting a, an edit out or something. But yeah, man, so what what does the future hold for you on, on a mountain bike, do you think? Like, it feels like you're going to be spending more time in the future on a mountain bike as you kind of get more and more familiar with it. Like, other than getting some good video stuff out there, are there certain things that you want to want to see happen or want to do? Yeah, there's, you know, big projects and stuff that I want to do. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would say in the next few years, I think I will be predominantly riding mountain bikes. Uh-huh. I'd say yeah. probably, I'd say within, unless, you know, somebody makes another BMX frame, but I would say I'm, I'll be 39 this year. Wow. So, uh, I don't know. I'd probably give it another another two years before I become a full-time mountain biker. Yeah, it would be good to see more of you on a mountain bike, man. It's awesome to watch. Not that I don't like seeing the BMX stuff as well, but, yeah, it's cool to see what you bring to mountain biking. We're, we're getting close to the end of our time. We've got final <laughs> four questions that we've asked pretty much everyone over the years. Um, so we'll hit up those. The first one, if our listeners had 150 pounds, which is about 190 US dollars at the moment, 
to improve their performance on a mountain bike, what would you recommend they go and spend it on? What what would be important to you for that money? $190. Yeah, not a huge amount. Ooh. Hmm. What can you buy from on a mountain bike for $190? <laughs> yeah, not that much. Not much. Uh, hmm. I would say... Hey, bars. Okay. Handlebars. Uh, bars or... I guess bars and tires. I mean, the, that's uh, an interesting price range. You can't get too much. No, you can't for sure. What bars do you run? Is there like a go-to for you? Uh, P&W moment uh-huh yeah. nice they're a good bunch yeah nice one man all right second one if you could wind back the clock and sit down with yourself age 16 what advice would you give 16 year old brad 16 year old brad uh don't be a knucklehead and get in trouble and <laughs> and derail your life <laughs> so you have to pay for it on the back end Fair play. Do you feel like that that early phase was like what delayed your success in BMX or? No, just not having um, no real structure. You know, I was never uh -huh. a planner. So it took a long time to learn how to plan. So, uh, and just consistency. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Yeah. For sure. All right, third one. If you could have a coaching session from anyone, past or present, who would it be and what would you want to learn from them? It doesn't have to be someone in the mountain bike space. It can be anyone from anywhere. Coaching session. Uh, probably Thomas Sowell. Yeah, okay. he's an yeah, like economist, writer. I just like to sit down with him, pick his brain, you know. Is, this, is there certain things about him that you'd want to – like pick on mm, just actually you know what no 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 let me take that back let me take that back even though he's he's a good one uh my grandfather yeah he's 104 uh -huh. yeah he's 104 no um yeah. haven't had much time he's at, he's pretty ill right now so i would i would it would be nice to have a long conversation with him just just about his life experience and how he how he was able to just to keep going forward. Yeah, he's 104. He's in the hospital right now. I don't, I'm not sure how long he's going to be with us, but that would be, yeah, I think that would be the biggest one for me. Yeah, you can't get to 104 and not have learned some pretty powerful lessons, so I bet he'd have some good stuff to share with you for sure, man. Yes. All right. Last one. What do you do every day that you feel benefits you? Eat food. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I do every day that benefits me. Uh, let's see. 
probably read something every day. So I, I, I try to start off, I start my day with something positive because mm-hmm. it's so easy. Cause you know, it's so easy to gravitate towards like all the taboo and the negative things. So I try to start each day with something positive and I go from there. Nice. Not always whether, easy whether, to find whether, positive stuff. Like if you go to the news, you're pretty much guaranteed to find negativity. <laughs> yeah. So I try. I look. Yeah, I look for something positive. Then that way, I that because usually I wake up on neutral ground, you know, and I don't get too overly hyped over anything. Especially like I try to uh-huh. manage my. I try to manage my expectations for the day or for when I'm doing anything, because let's say my default, like my mood is probably sitting around a a six and a half, some out of 10, I'm a little, little more, a little above average there. Yeah. So I like to kind of hang out there. At least I do my best to, to stay in that realm. That way when certain things happen, whether it be good or bad, how I respond to it is going to be where that meter shifts. So when I go somewhere, like I'm riding with certain people, they're always they're super hyped, like, oh, this is going to be so awesome. This is going to be really good. Then they get to the spot and it sucks. That's why I keep myself right here. So when I go there, let, let's say if it is uh-huh. bad, it doesn't change. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. They're down. They're like, they're bummed because the spot is rubbish. So, but then we go somewhere and if the spot's really good, then I can rise with it. So I like it. Like, I think that's kind of how I kind of keep my, I guess my my mood or my day yeah. in check or or what I do to something I do that benefits me daily. For sure, man. That makes a lot of sense. Nice one, man. Well, it has been super interesting finding out a bit more about you. It's been exciting seeing what you're adding to Mountain Viking already, and I'm looking forward to seeing plenty more from you. If people want to keep up to speed and follow you, if they don't already, where should they be looking? Um, I'd say, um, yeah, Instagram, YouTube, uh, TikTok, threads, you know, all the Facebook, all the, all the social media outlets that are currently here. So, but yeah, thank you. I appreciate you having me on here and, um, hopefully, uh, we'll cross paths in either in the UK or somewhere in Europe. Definitely, man. Yeah, it'd be nice to sit down in person and do one of these in the future when uh, you've uh, spent a bit more time on the mountain bike and we've got, yeah, face-to-face is always a bit better than online. But thanks, man. Appreciate you taking the time. All the best for the future. And, yeah, we'll chat again soon, hopefully. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. You have a good one. All right, that's it for this episode with Brad. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thanks to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode. Don't forget you can get 20% off site-wide, excluding bikes and frames for the month of February using the code DOWNTIMEFEBRUARY2024 at the checkout on weareonecomposites.com. That's DOWNTIME with a capital D, FEBRUARY with a capital F, followed by the number 2024 with no spaces. Also, a massive thank you to Shimano. Don't forget to check out their latest range of gravity-focused shoes over on their website mtb.shimano.com or at your local Shimano dealer. If you're not sure where your nearest dealer is, then look for the big blue button marked find my dealer on the shimano mtb homepage i can highly recommend their gf8 gore-tex flat pedal shoes which are perfect for riding in wet and cold conditions 
If you want to help support the podcast this year, then the best way to do that is by visiting patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast and setting up a regular donation. You can also support us by grabbing some of our fully updated merch lineup, which is now delivering locally in the US as well as the UK. You can check it out over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. Stay connected by following the podcast. You can hit that button in your podcast app now or visit downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook too, where we're at Downtime Podcast. And for your extra dose of downtime, sign up to our newsletter at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. All right, that's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride. (laughs) 